Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, engaging in unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Whether you're tuning in from your car, your office, your home, or anywhere in between, we are so happy to have you join us today. Our mission is simple, to explore the Bible through a powerful lens of love. Together, we'll uncover fresh insights and gain deeper understandings of how we can love God and love the people in our everyday lives. So buckle up and join us on the spiritual journey as we discover timeless wisdom that is just as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Without further ado, let's dive right in. All right, welcome to the Love and Context podcast with Ben and Spencer. I am Ben. I'm not Ben. Yeah, I think people can probably see that at this point. Yeah, I'm Spencer. Yeah, you're seeing us again, and once again, we do apologize because if your cameras are breaking, your screens are freaking out. No, not those guys. Uh, We actually have a special guest today. You want to introduce our special guest? Yeah, so uh, this guy has had a big impact in my life. His name is Ed. He's also known as my dad. Um, So he, if you're like, if you're like, hey, I want to hear embarrassing stories about Spencer, like he's the guy to talk to. So he's probably got a few of those. So, but a few, a few, a few, (laughs) just a few. Yeah. So uh, Mr. Ed McDowell, he has worked in Christian camping for, is it 27 years? Yeah, that's right. Oh, sweet. I got that first guess. That's awesome. Yeah. 27 years. Uh, he's been the board chair for the Christian Camping Association across the U.S. Uh, he's worked in pastoral ministry in a number of different churches uh, in Oregon um, and Colorado. Uh, served uh, as dean of students a long time ago at Central Christian College. Um, so, yeah, uh, published author. Uh, he's got his own set of devotional books, which are awesome. Excellent. We'll put a link into those in the description. Yeah, absolutely. Can so, people get those on, like, Amazon and stuff? Or Yeah. Yep. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Excellent. Perfect. Uh, well, we're really excited you're here. Do you have anything to say before we get rolling? Well, it's great to be with you. And I have been taking in and enjoying the Love and Context podcast. And some of the things you have said have made it into other messages that I've shared or devotional gatherings or campfire conversations. And so mm-hmm. I really appreciate the input that you're pouring into my life through this. So thanks for having me with you today. Man, what a gracious man. What happened to you? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, we do. I Thank do you so much. One disclaimer to this. I do need to apologize. Uh, there is one story I told about my childhood on the podcast that my mom listened to, and she says that I told the story wrong. That That's not super surprising because, I, in fact, I think actually when we get into Deuteronomy, we're going to talk about how like Moses is at the end of his life yeah, yeah. retelling the stories. and. There are some times when he tells the stories that are painted definitely from his perspective and not necessarily what it says in the book of Exodus. Yeah. Yeah. That's another episode later. Yeah, that's another episode later. So today, uh, we're going to be in Numbers 21. 21. Uh, So if you have not read that, uh, there's this wonderful newfangled technology. It's called a pause button. You can pause it, go (laughs) read it, uh, and then come back and join us after you read it. Um, That's true. That's where we are going to be today. Yeah. So uh, just a reminder, like we have just, we're coming off the heels of this story of um, Moses is supposed to speak to the rock and instead he uh, chastises the people and decides to strike the rock a couple of times, which I mean, Ed, you can probably tell me, but um, you know, guys in ministry, they always do exactly what God tells them to do, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, what's all right. Right. I tell you, that's the big challenge. It's just having to come back and say, God, can you clean up after me? I'm so sorry. (laughs) Thank goodness he's a lot better at cleaning up our messes, and, okay. and he's he's faster at cleaning them up than we are at making them, mm-hmm. which is very impressive. Yeah. So this whole section 
and uh, they, we've kind of seen this thing with Israel, and they're struggling with this uh, this uh, question of are they going to trust God, right? Because mm-hmm. they have this question. They're like, oh, we don't have water. Oh, we don't. We have this bread, but we don't really like this bread. Oh, we don't want to go into the land. There's the uh, the Amalekites, and they're huge. Mm-hmm. There's the Nephilim. You know, we don't want to fight them. And over and over again, to the point where they're like, well, maybe we should appoint a new leader. We're going to go back to Egypt. And it's over and over again. God's saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And the resounding answer has been no. To now the point last week, even Moses and Aaron are struggling to trust God, right? Mm-hmm. Which I actually was talking to a friend of mine this week who listened to the episode, and uh, he made a comment, and I thought it was really worth sharing. He said, <clears throat> if you, as a leader, have your fellowship that is just doesn't trust and doesn't trust and doesn't trust, you have to really put yourself on guard because it very easily can become you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like That's a huge takeaway from like Moses' story here. Mm-hmm. So all of that complaining, everything that's going on, and then we get into uh, Numbers twenty-one. They have a they have a quick victory over Arad, and then uh, they're in verse four. We're just going to pick up here. So twenty-one verse four says they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way, which has never happened, not at any point up in the story. <laughs> they spoke against God and against Moses and said. Have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when everyone was bitten by the snake, they look at the bronze snake and they would live. Now, I don't know how many times I've read that story. And if you don't have like John 3 in the back of your head, sometimes you're reading this and you're like, this is a weird story, mm-hmm. right? Because like, there's a few weird things that are going on here. Um, first, I want to point out, so a few weeks ago, we talked about this uh, Hebrew word of like this murmuring, this uh, discontent mm-hmm. that was going on underneath. Yeah. That's gone. Now they're just like, we don't like it, God. We don't like it, Moses. <laughs> like they're they're literally it's it's no longer a, a grumbling in the background. Now they're just full on complaining. Like they're just shouting it out, right? So it's a it's an escalation for sure, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the the Hebrew word is uh, dbar, meaning to speak or declare. Now I I always think of that spot in uh, the office where they tell Michael Scott that he has to declare bankruptcy, just and so he walks out into the office and he goes. I declare bankruptcy. He goes, Michael, you actually have to file paperwork. You can't just declare it. He's like, I didn't say it. I declared it. <laughs> so uh, that works real well. It's always that's always in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Like whenever somebody says, like in the church, when people say oh, declarations of peace and goodness and mercy from God, and I'm like, I'm always like, I declare blessing. You know, um, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Sorry, that was a tangent. There we go. That was. Um, there's a really interesting thing because when you're looking at, uh, numbers four, particularly verse five, it actually echoes back to, uh, Exodus three and four too, as well. Uh, where Moses at the end of giving his list of excuses is like, I just don't want to, Yeah, like, please send someone else. Right. Like, I don't want this. And God, God in his anger at that moment sends him Aaron. Right. Right. Like still provides in his anger. Uh, in his anger, in his frustration, and you actually see that echoed in this story, that that nature of God where he's like, okay, we will, pro-, he's like, I'm going to provide a way for you to be healed from these snake, from these snake bites. Right. 
Right. Yeah, there's totally, absolutely. There's, there's, there is a respite in the end, mm-hmm. right? So I want to kind of go through the story. So first off, not a grumble. This is a declaration, right? So um, Ed, you've been in church. When it moves from grumble to declaration, you went from, hey, we should have a private meeting to maybe we should have a family meeting as a church, right? Yeah, I've seen that in church. I've, I've even seen that in family. Yeah. Know, where, you know, you just can't let it go on and you've got to get people together and talk about it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so then moving from that, then they start saying, we don't have bread. We don't have water. We detest this food. Now, okay, first of all, you're like, I don't have bread. I don't have water. Both things we know that they have because mm-hmm. we just saw the previous scripture, yeah. right? So we know they have both of those. Water, uh, bread's still coming from heaven. They still have quail. All these things that God's still providing. So what food are they talking about? It has to be the manna and quail that they don't like, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that they don't have bread. They just don't have bread that they want. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way... I've never heard that comparison to the American church before, right? Uh, no. Uh, Where we're like, God, I want this, not this. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like one of those things where you don't pray for patience because uh, God will give you people you can't handle. Well, this, this is a good spot for us to jump into just a conversation about God's provision rarely coming how we expect it to come. Right. Uh, and so I like I've experienced that in my life where I'm like, okay, Lord, I need your provision here. And then it comes in a really weird roundabout way. Right, right. Uh, Dad, I'm sure you've experienced that in your life too. Yeah, I think the heart of this is that it's that they're not in control of how the provision happens. Yeah. Mm. And I think that takes it right to where we all get stuck so many times. Mm -hmm. I'm complaining about your provision because I actually want to be in control of how the provision happens. Well, and that, that goes all the way back to uh, Exodus when, when Pharaoh is confronting God. He wants control over yeah. the situation. He's like, well, do you want these these uh, plagues to end? He's like, yes. He's like, when do you want them to end? He's like, now, if I got a thousand frogs in my, in my living room, I'm saying this second, right? <laughs> but Pharaoh's like, three o'clock tomorrow. Because like his his thing and what Rabbi David Foreman is, is talking about in those texts is that Pharaoh is trying to see what kind of control does God actually have because Pharaoh is the guy who wants control, mm-hmm. right? Once again, are we buying into the narrative of empire in Egypt or are we buying into this uh, empire of shalom and following God, peace, yeah. you know, being being led in the desert by a voice? Yeah. Which... Um, you know, you see this, this grumble, this, he's grumbling against, they're grumbling against God, they're grumbling against Moses. They say, we don't like anything that you're providing. What are they really saying? They're saying, we don't want you here. Mm-hmm. We, we want to be back in Egypt, which uh, leads into the next part where they actually says that God sends these snakes. Now, I always thought that was an overreaction, right? Like, we don't like this spread here, have a snake, uh, which by the way, I don't know if you caught that, but Jesus actually tells a parable about that. When uh, somebody asked for bread, who would give them a snake? Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's a really weird thing. Hmm. It's almost like it's happened in the text before, huh? Uh, it's almost like Jesus knows his Torah. Almost like he's the Torah made flesh. And uh, so I, I got into this because I was like, I don't quite understand what's going on here. And so the word there for scent isn't actually the word we would normally use for scent. It's actually a Hebrew word called shalach. And it is a verb meaning to let go. Okay, so the implication there is that God has a hold of the snakes. And he's had a hold of snakes. And they say, I don't want you to be here. And so God says, okay, be in the desert by yourself then. And he just releases his protection. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really interesting because if you look in Deuteronomy 29.5, and we're not there yet, 
God actually, or Moses is going to make a statement that says that God actually uh, makes sure that their clothes don't wear out and that their shoes are still standing. And God's presence is the cloud, as we see here it in Exodus and, and Numbers, and it's the fire that went with them. We've talked about that's protection from the heat, that's protection from the cold. And God has been going and they've been protected everywhere that they've gone, every place that they've gone. So in this case, God doesn't so much send snakes as he removes what he's been withholding, right? That's a good conversation about our lives. Because I don't know how many times people talk about, they're like, oh, God is just sending adversity into my life. Well, is he sending adversity into your life or has there always been adversity and you're no longer right in the middle of his will? Because I read stories by like uh, Corey Timboon. She's sitting in the Nazi concentration camps, covered in lice, malnutrition, uh, being beaten every day. And she's like, oh, the glory of the Lord was in that place. Right? She's more content in a Nazi concentration camp than we are in our air-conditioned house. Like something is different and maybe the adversity you're facing has more to do with the fact that you're not right in the center of God's will and that you're relying on your own power to Ed's point than actually relying on God's. I always feel like I should call you like Dr. Ed. <laughs> well, please don't. Do you have a doctorate? Because that'd be great. No, I'm not worthy. No, no. Do, you, do you have a master's? Because I could call you Master Ed. Yeah, you I think could. This is, that's not, should, I think this is good. It's ridiculous. I'll stop talking because I did a lot of talking mm -hmm. leading up to that. So. It is a great conversation piece to have of, are we living in, like, where's the adversity coming from? Mm -hmm. Like, is it coming, like, because I don't want to deny the, I don't want to deny the fact that there are times where God does send adversity into our lives. Absolutely. Because there is scripture to back that. Um, and uh, you could look at this one, you could argue either way, but you could look at Job's life mm -hmm. where God, where Satan's like, I want to mess with this guy. And God's like, okay. Right. Right. Like in a sense, God was giving permission for Satan to be sent to mess with Job. Um, so you can look, there's stories like that. There's also times where we just step out of the will of the Lord. And then we're like, man, why are things, why, why is my peace gone? Why is my anxiety up? Why is my fill in the blank? Right. And when we step out of the will of the Lord, we start to see those things crumble around us. And sometimes, and the beautiful thing about it is in that crumbling, oftentimes the Lord actually are you always the lord meets us mm. and draws us back in right it doesn't mean we we still have to live with the consequences of what happened but the lord meets us there and draws us back in and it's such a beautiful thing if you were to go over to hebrews 4 it's this it begins with so does god's promise of entering his promised rest still stand and, and right on the back of that is how so many people in the children of israel missed out while wandering you and god was providing in, right in the zone of where we're talking about today mm -hmm. and and he really comes on and says look you run the risk of missing out yourself yeah. comes back to this whole idea of trust and and then there's this very real connection that you get down to verse 12 of chapter 4 and it, it talks about his word being able to work in places in our lives that take incredible precision. You know, mm -hmm. he talks about separating mind and soul and marrow and bone and uh, desires and thoughts. I mean, just these, and, and it says his word can help us sort of sort that out. And then it ends back with, which brings us back towards some of the imagery of today it ends with jesus understands all of this he's experienced mm -hmm. all of it the only thing he didn't do was the sin part 
but he experienced everything else. And he's there to help us and invite us to get the help we need through this. Would you say then, Ed, a lot of times we are forgetting, because like God makes a comment in Torah, or actually I think it's in Jeremiah or Isaiah, where he says, I led you like a bride. This is intimate time with God. This is important time. And like, it's not easy. You're still in the desert. Right. Even if God is removing snakes and all those things and providing bread and stuff, mm-hmm. it's still difficult. Um, but would you say like, would you would you say that sometimes as Christians we have a tendency to try to avoid the deserts and so we miss that intimate time with God? We we miss out the wonder moving of God because we're not willing to be a little uncomfortable in His. Oh yeah, 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 completely. And I think that what we're looking for so often is circumstantial harmony or harmony with the physical space and surroundings. And what God's saying is, I have the capacity to give you everything you need so that you can show up and live in a way, in whatever circumstance, that will can actually be described as being filled with rest, which mm-hmm. is amazing to think about. Oh, yeah. Well, and then also, like, back to your <laughs> point on Hebrews 4, there is power in rest, like Hebrews 4.12, I've often found it's quoted out of context because you read the verses before that, it's all about resting on the Lord. It's true. Like Hebrews Hebrews 4, like the whole thing with yes. the word being like the sword, I kind of feel like people are always using to dissect their neighbor, uh-huh. right? So that's frequently how we're using it. And like the whole thing and is actually introspection. Yeah. And it's used more so to dissect yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like, you know, Jesus told this story. <laughs> Funny, you know, that guy, he told this story about, about a log in your own eye when you're trying to take out a speck, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. feel like the word of God might be helpful for that. Yeah, right? absolutely. No, that's so good. Um, okay. So in the story here, now God has released his protection around them and things are going out and they're biting people. And I hate snakes, like just with a violent passion. Like one of the, my favorite things about being in Alaska is we don't have snakes. Like it's great. It's so great. Uh, so then the people realize when they start getting bitten and die mm-hmm. that maybe they made a bad choice, mm-hmm. right? Like, this just seems likely. Uh, so they ask Moses to pray to God. And then once again, this is because they don't want to talk to God. This is a, That's been established back in Exodus because they're like, oh, God, your voice is too strong. We don't want to talk to you. Talk to Moses and he'll tell us what to do, mm-hmm. right? Which a lot of their issues come from the fact they're like, well, Moses, are you the only one who talks to God? Yeah, because you literally said to. Like, this is what you asked for. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you're like, you're like, yeah, that that is what's happening. And... Uh, so he has him go and pray and Moses prays and God has him make this bronze serpent and has him has it lifted up, up on high in the camp. And if someone's bitten, they look at it and they live. Right. What's interesting is God doesn't actually remove the snakes. Like the snakes never go away now. Like they're there. The, the snakes are, are just there now. He, now he gives them the ability to live even when the snake bites. Right. Mm-hmm. Feels very Genesis to me. Mm-hmm. Right. This, I mean, like if I'm thinking Genesis three, I think that's a great connection to see what's going on here is we think we know better than you. Once again, you don't. And once again, we have a snake causing problems. Mm -hmm. Right. But this time, even if you're getting bit by the snake, there's a way that you can live, which also comes back to Cain and Abel, uh, Genesis four. Um, why are you downcast? Why are you angry? If you do what is good, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is good, uh, sin is sitting at your door waiting to devour you, but you must conquer it. Mm-hmm. You have the option. Look up, right? Yeah. Uh, it, this plays really well into, like, 
just because forgiveness has taken place, that doesn't mean the consequences of our actions have gone away. Right. Or the repercussions of our actions have gone away. There are times where we make decisions in our lives, and yes, forgiveness and redemption happens, restoration happens, but there's still consequences from those actions. Right. And so here you have the same, you have a similar thing happening where Israelites are like, yeah, we, okay, we made a mistake. And the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to provide a way for healing. But by the way, yeah, still like this is still going to be with you. Right. Like you still have to see that this is going to be with you. Uh, and it's something you're going to have to live with. Right. Well, yeah. And, and with that, that idea, uh, we're going to have some commentary on this because I think that there's a really, some really interesting things that God is doing. One, he's having him put it on a pole. It has to be high up in the sky. Now, the only reason you do that is so everybody can see it. But typically when you have like archways or anything in, uh, in like temples or in anything that's going on in the, in the camp. Now, mm-hmm. ideally this would probably be in the center near the tabernacle. That would be my guess given how they travel. Right. That'd be my guess. It doesn't specifically. It doesn't specifically say, but if you want everybody to be able to see it, having it in the middle makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. And you have to have it high. Now, in the book of Exodus, they're actually walking through the desert, and uh, they have an encounter with the Amalekites, mm-hmm. who incidentally they've just been complaining about again. Uh, they haven't, and because they're like this desert nomadic people that are just like they always pick off the weak. Mm-hmm. And God has Moses go and put his hands up in the air, and Aaron and uh, who's the guy with with Aaron in that story? Do anybody remember? No. Aaron and the other guy, who is very important, so don't me, like, take me forgetting his name as he's not important. Uh, they stand next to Moses, and the entire time that Moses has his hands up, like they win the battle, but when his hands start to fall, they lose. Now, is it really about his hands, or is it about what his hands are, like what's between his hands, which when they look up, he's up on a mountaintop, they look behind his hands, they actually see the banner of heaven behind him, mm-hmm. which is where God dwells. In, in Hebrew mind, this is where God is. So... Moses actually has his hands up, and whenever they look in the battle and they can see Moses' hands up, who are they really looking at? They're looking through Moses to God. That's a really important image for us to see. Now we have this bronze serpent that is being hoisted up on a pole wherever they go, that if they're bit and death is coming to claim them, they look to this serpent, but they're not really looking to the serpent. They're looking beyond the serpent because beyond the serpent is their salvation who is providing it, which is God, right? Like this is a, this is a very, it's a very clear picture and it's not necessarily, uh, spelled out in the text because a lot of times in these texts, like they assume that, you know, things about like ancient temples and, and ancient cultures and things like that, um, which we as Americans probably do not do not. Now, a couple interesting things to note, um, making idols is prohibited. So this is actually not an idol, mm-hmm. right? This is a symbol that they're supposed to look at and drive them to God. I specify that because I have a, I have a story and I know this person will never listen to my podcast because it was years ago and they didn't like technology then. but I was in a, I was serving in a church and I had somebody come up and tell me because we had, we had moved the, you know, the, the, almost every church, uh, older church has one, the, this do in remembrance of me table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's, that's where they, they put communion. There's always a big Bible on it. It was in the, like right in the center of the stage. So like we had instrumentalists in front of it, instrumentalists behind it. It was, it was in the way. So I asked the pastor, could we move it to in front of the stage? Right. And I thought, thought that was a fairly simple move that wouldn't cause any problems. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a, had a lady come up and she was furious. You'll love, you'll get a chuckle out of this, Ed. She says, that table is the modern day Ark of the Covenant. And you are re- putting it on the floor. It belongs on the stage and center. And I was like, 
well, the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be in the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwells. That's actually the church people. So, which I was uh, younger then, so please forgive my crassness and my directness. But it was, I was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure that you're misunderstanding what the Bible's teaching. Uh huh. But we've taken symbols and even like to an extent, like the Christian cross, right? One of the reasons it was such an effective uh, symbol in, in those times is because it was a item of ridicule. Mm-hmm. Now it's a trendy piece that people put around their neck, right? We're in danger, I think, sometimes of taking symbols like the cross and making them idols rather than using the symbol to point at what it represents. Yeah, that's a, yes, no, that's a very fair statement. I've, I have similar stories to your table story. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to recount them right now. Because uh, they, is it your dad? He's going to listen to a podcast now. No, <laughs> no, no, my dad and I have always had a great relationship uh, for the most part. Um, I mean, it's a fair statement to say that there are times where we take symbols and we elevate them above what they're supposed to represent. Similar to your story. I got stories like that, but I don't think we have time to recount all those today. <laughs> Probably. But, uh, I got stories like that too, where, where people have been like, well, this is the most important thing. And I'm like, actually, that's a box. So, but sometimes when, we need to remember what these symbols represent, right? Um, and I want to be really clear, like we're not discounting the work that happened on the cross. Right, exactly. The cross is super important. Yeah. Please hear us loud and clear on that. Uh, the cross is super important. It is fundamental in many ways. The work that happened on the cross is supposed to lead us to a place of forgiveness, restoration, and redemption with Jesus, with God, through the work of Jesus. Right. Yeah, isn't that the isn't that the challenge with the symbol? About a year ago, you know, built about a twelve foot cross in our backyard and put it mm-hmm. in one of the gardens there. Mm-hmm. And it was there because I wanted the reminder that having our lives always looking towards Christ and what we do is the important thing. It's not there to kind of show off religion or to show off my my faith it really is there to say let's keep my eyes fixed on christ let's keep our eyes mm-hmm. on the yeah. one who's done this for us and i you know i think that's the goal of a good symbol and mm-hmm. when we elevate it beyond its purpose that's when it becomes problematic yeah oh 100 percent. yeah had to work that in we haven't said 100% yet, so. I've been holding back. Yeah. So one of the passages that I pulled up that kind of like, the reason I look at this serpent being on the pole lifted up high, they're looking past to see Jesus, or to see God in this case, um, is it's all throughout scripture. So I'm, I just picked one where they talk about this, but in Isaiah 45, 22, it says, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself, I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Now, turn to me. Where is God? Or in their mind, he's going to be in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the heavens, in in the cloud, right? So to turn to him means you have to look up. You have to look up. Where the serpent is up, you need to look up to find your salvation. You need to look up because that's where all help comes from. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there's that song, I look to the mountains, right? Pulling from the passage, I look to the mountain. Why do you look to the mountains? Because God is up, mm-hmm. right? He looks, he's on the mountain like in Sinai. Mm-hmm. And big reason I'm pointing that out is because we have a tendency to be like, oh, well, we need to look up and we're talking about literally looking up. No, the point is that you actually need to, to Ed's point, look past the cross to what Jesus is doing, right? The cross is meant for you to look towards so that you actually see the finished work beyond the cross. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think that the cross is is fundamentally like uh, this transfiguring work, uh, like what God does in our life, right? Power over sin and death, everything that happens with that and the resurrection. So many times we focus so much on that that we forget that there's stuff that comes after that we're actually supposed to go because of this mm-hmm. and be different. Now, very American church idea. What happens in Second Kings? <laughs> They end up taking the bronze serpent and then they actually create it into an idol and start worshiping it so that eventually Hezekiah has to come in and break it up and uh, throw it away because he's like, okay, guys, literally not what this is for, mm-hmm. right? Not even yeah. a little bit. But I think we have a tendency that we have like these sacred relics of our past and they can be like, uh, you think about people with VBS, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, VBS is a, an incredible tool for reaching people for Christ, right? But if you think that VBS is what saves people, like you got a problem. Like if you're like, oh, we can't reach kids without VBS, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, you have like, if you're like, oh, we can't reach people without a specific kind of music. You're actually now elevating this to the point of like an idol rather than a tool from which to actually reach people. Uh, coming back to the like looking up piece. Yeah. So dad, the camp you work at, they put a big Christmas thing on every year. Lots of Christmas lights, right? I've helped set that up a number of times. Um right. We always had an inside joke whenever we were setting it up. We're like, oh, we don't need to hang lights higher than eight feet because nobody will look up. Right. right. That was always the joke. But the reality is, is if we just turned the lights that were on that were eight feet high and lower, it would have been a pretty dismal sight. Right. Yeah. Like it would have been like, oh, it would have actually felt really dark. Right. It would have felt like there wasn't much to this. It would have felt, in many cases, it would have felt lazy, would have felt like unprepared, like half, like kind of half thrown together. But when you turn, but then when all those lights illuminate above that eight foot mark, which by the way, at this event is, I would say probably three fourths of them um, are above that eight foot mark. Uh, When all those lights illuminate, then it becomes so bright to where you don't need a flashlight to walk around. You don't need any of that. Like there's just so much light everywhere that it encompasses everything. Right. However... Those lights that are those lights that are up that force us to look up. That's what illuminates. Mm-hmm. It's when we look up to Jesus that things are illuminated in our lives, that uh, that things actually be, begin the good and the bad begin to be elevated in our lives, so that we can take care of the bad, and then that the good can shine. Um, those, but that happens when we look up, right? Like if street lights were only six feet off the ground, this is another crazy example, right? They wouldn't be that effective. Oh, they wouldn't even go. They wouldn't even go over my head. Yeah, hey, is that valid? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What is it with your guys' dogs? Your dogs at your house? Your dad's so, dogs at his so house? <laughs> Valor is Pepper's brother. Yeah, they just want to be on the podcast. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Pepper's barked on a number of times. So. So with that idea, um, now we, we've been in uh, Numbers 21, and I want to shift this story because this story comes up again in a really major way in uh, the Gospel of John, mm-hmm. right? The bronze serpent is mentioned twice again, once in Second Kings, like we talked about, where they decide to start worshiping it and miss the point. 
The second time is in John 3 when Jesus is having a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, they're having a conversation about who Jesus is, but G- Jesus keeps showing Nicodemus uh, who Israel was supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? This conversation, when you hear it, now we have the benefit of knowing what happens at the end of the story. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. But the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, like they don't necessarily think that he's talking, like Nicodemus doesn't necessarily think he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Israel. They're having this conversation about Israel, uh-huh. which later he's probably like, oh, I get it. There's like a bl- double use here. Can we also acknowledge that Nicodemus's questions are very like practical? They're very practical. Like, like if I was in Nicodemus's shoes, I'd probably be asking the same questions. Well, when he's like, should I enter my mom again and be born again? I was like, my mom would be like, no, <laughs> you were big enough the first time, <laughs> right? So they're having this conversation and there's uh, about how they're supposed to be a born again nation because they've passed through water, the Red Sea and the spirit, which is like lots of places in the Torah, but we could talk about uh, Numbers 11, right? Mm-hmm. Where the spirits multiplied on them. They're the firstborn of God, right? Like people ask like, who's the firstborn of God? Well, obviously that's Jesus, but it's also Israel. Right, Israel is God's firstborn. He's chosen them out. There's supposed to be a kingdom of priests to the entire world. They're supposed to be actually putting God on display so that all nations would be blessed. Mm -hmm. And Nicodemus, of course, doesn't really understand what he means by that, right? By being born of the spirit. So Jesus talks back to him and he says this, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now we spent some time in Numbers 21. Moving into John 3, I got a question. Did God send sin into the world? Yeah, no, of course he didn't. (laughs) Did God send the fiery serpents that bit people? No, 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 no. They are just no longer under his cloud. They've stepped out of the cloud and now they're living on their own. Uh, Is there any help outside of God for those that are bitten? No, No. their only hope is to look up, to turn their face toward God, Mm -hmm. who is the only one who can save them. So with that in mind, now Jesus talking again of Israel, right? And ultimately Jesus being a Jewish Messiah fulfills this, steps into this role, makes a statement in John 3, the 16 through 18, probably some of the most quoted verses in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Israel, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send Israel into the world to condemn the world, but to actually save the world through him. Mm -hmm. Whoever doesn't believe in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, this mission that they're supposed to be about. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will come not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, Jesus steps into this role. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 55, who was supposed to be Israel. He is the messianic figure promised in Genesis. Mm-hmm. These are all things that Israel is supposed to be. And so that's why it's really important that we understand Jesus is a Jewish messianic figure mm-hmm. because it's through Jesus 
that all nations, and you know, that's, that's us, are blessed. We've been welcomed in because Jesus stepped into what Israel was supposed to do. And he is like that serpent lifted up high. And we look to that cross, but we're not just looking to the cross. We're looking beyond it to the father who loved and gave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember one time I was sitting in a Bible study and someone asked me like, Hey, what is your favorite verse? I was in like junior high or something. And I just finished reading John three and a verse that stood out to me was John three nineteen, which is the, which is, this is the verdict light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because, uh, because their deeds were evil and everyone whose deeds were evil hates the light and did not come into light for fear that their deeds would be exposed. Uh-huh. And the reason, the reason at the time that I was like, man, I really like this verse is because it was saying, because it was saying that like we live in a place where there's people who are trying to hide trying to hide who they are and God saying, no, I'm trying to bring you in. And so I shared that with the group and the youth pastor at the time was like, do you mean John three sixteen? I was like, no, nope. <laughs> I don't. John three nineteen. And he's like, I think you mean John three sixteen. I'm a, I was like, I'm not going to argue this right now. I think it's more surprising to me that you didn't argue with it. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just didn't want it. I was, I was in junior high at the time. Didn't feel the need. Yeah. Um, but, uh, these, this passage right here is just so, so interesting because what it's not saying is it's not saying that God condemned you, mm-hmm. which is also echoed. It's also echoed throughout Torah. Like right. there is punishment for sin. There was punishment for uh, Adam and Eve eating the fruit. Right. Which by the way, I think is figs because they covered themselves in fig leaves afterwards. That's not theologically sound at all, but that's just my opinion. We have somebody who's like a Hebrew scholar, like, well, actually. Probably yeah. at some point, but that's just, that's Spencer's little yeah. bit there. So they weren't, uh, evil. there was consequences for that, right? Like God stated the consequences in Genesis one and two, where he was like, hey, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. Uh, the serpent twisted those words and Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Their eyes were opened. They did eventually die, right? There were consequences to that. Uh, that wasn't actually God condemning them, right? And then here you see Jesus echoing that where it's like, no, the Lord's not actually condemning you. Right. What the Lord is doing is, but he's not afraid to let you live into your own actions. God didn't send the snake, but he'll let you get bit if you want to get bit. Right. Right. And you're a parent, right? Well, uh, dad, let me ask you this. Were there any times growing up where you're like, Hey, I'm just going to let Spencer do that and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. The dynamic of people wanting to try their own thing, right? Yeah. Rather than rely on the wonderful provision and protection and abundance of God. It yeah. is a dynamic that we struggle with every day. And I think the posture of literally getting down on your knees and looking up in confession to God to say, if I don't do this today, I can get lost so easily and be right there grumbling and complaining as opposed to thanking you for your salvation, thanking Mm -hmm. you for your provision, and thank you for the abundance that I get to live in today. Even when the circumstances are hard, I know I'm not alone. Yeah, so good. What we've been talking about through the Torah series that, you know, the priesthood, we're putting God on display. Mm-hmm. The law is to put God on display. Love is to put God on display. Holiness, being different, is to put God on display so that all nations will be blessed. And Jesus invites us. He doesn't command us. He invites us to be a part of this. And then if we're going to be a part of it, then we have a command mm-hmm. to love each other as he's loved us. Yeah. But first is an invitation. Are you going to be part of this? 
because you always have the right, if you get bitten by a snake, to just sit there and die. Mm-hmm. Seems like a silly idea, but it is absolutely your right as a, as a person if you want to get bit by the snake and die. God didn't send the snakes, mm-hmm. but he did provide a way for you to be saved from the snakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about the teaching today and the conversation is just this profound idea that, number one, getting out from under God's protection is not a place any of us should want to be. Correct. And yet we're so prone to wander there. And the the second thing that's just huge for me is realizing that even when I do that, that he makes provision. And of course, that's found through Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that we don't just stop by looking at the cross. Mm-hmm. Because what comes with the resurrection and what comes with the Holy Spirit pouring over our lives is absolutely life-changing. And it starts going through the cross, but then it just keeps getting better and better. And I'm so mm-hmm. thankful and thankful for what you guys are doing in this conversation. Well, I appreciate that. Man, we've, we've liked having you on here. Hopefully we can cajole you to come back on another episode. Yeah. The... Yeah. Uh, so what are, are you up to anything that people should know about anybody in your area that potentially listeners would be like, oh, that's really cool. I want to, I want to help in that. Well, you know, this, this book series is a devotional series, of a well-planted faith in an uprooted culture. Uh, the first three are out. The great one is at the publications right now. And the whole idea there is to let God's word actually inform the kinds of decisions and choices that we make in our lives. And that's the whole motivation behind it. So anybody that wants to get on board with that, you're welcome to. Everything's available at Amazon. A well-planted faith. We'll we'll put some links uh, in the show description. We're going to probably throw up a couple of video recommendations on uh, just some different books because I read read half of one of yours, and I forget which one it was, Um, but it was good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The uh, we usually when I read half of it means that I lost the book halfway through. I'm trying to figure out where my son put it. I have another copy for yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on here. Uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at loveandcontext at gmail.com. You can also find us on the Facebook, mm-hmm. on the YouTube, on the Instagram, on TikTok. the Tiki Talk. And uh, oh, we do have our uh, merch store up, mm-hmm. and uh, we have now have that shirt available. The desert is really hot. Um, by the way, we gave it to Pastor Nick's wife, and she laughed for a long time, mm-hmm. and then was like, "I'm never going to wear this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. We gave it to her on a Sunday, and we're, and we're like, "You have to wear it while you're like singing for worship." And she was like, "No, yeah, no." Uh, we'll probably get Pastor Nick to do it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ed. Thanks for being here with us, and until next time. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. That's a wrap for today's episode. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you for tuning in and spending your valuable time with us. We hope that you found today's conversation insightful and that you take something meaningful from it. If you have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at loveandcontext at gmail.com and we will be sure to get back to you. Remember, you can always engage with our content on all your favorite listening platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Love and Context on Instagram and Facebook for updates. 
I read stories by like Harry, uh, not Harriet Tubman. Sorry, let me really do that again. We're digressing. Yeah, this part yeah. of the this part will definitely get cut. Actually, this will probably end up in the bloopers. So yeah. <laughs> just so you know, like this, uh, he's getting a peek behind the curtain. He's like, oh, I yeah. can only imagine this stuff has been there.